Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Uktana, and today we'll be discussing how to work with deities in the Akashics, specifically Hathor, who supports us in having health, love, happiness, and wellness. An aspect of working in the Akashics, which sometimes gets overlooked, is accessing, working with, and experiencing deities or gods. It's something badly represented in movies and TV, but actually rather common in indigenous spirituality, as well as more modern experiential practices such as Wicca, witchcraft, and paganism. This is in part why I create guided meditations with the goddesses on my YouTube channel and work with students on their personal connections with deities who have invited or welcomed them into relationship. In this context, and during this time of health concerns and transitions, it seems like a good time to discuss Hathor. Hathor's reputation, both in the scholarly as well as the spiritual communities, is as a mysterious, gentle, but confusing deity. Unlike other gods, she doesn't have one specific role she plays. She's the child and lover and mother of the sun god Ra, but not a mother goddess. Yet she is the primary goddess of mothers, children, and childbirth. She also participates in each soul's journeying to the afterlife, but is primarily focused on living this one. Her image is everywhere and on everything, yet she is rarely written about other than in prayers and supplications for her to help in healing or romance. In Western culture, we like our gods to be a bit more Jungian archetype than that. We prefer they focus on one thing, be a symbol of one concept, guide us in one aspect of being so we can work with them much like with a spatula or a pencil. The right tool for the right job. Hathor defies this type of oversimplification. Well, to be honest, she basically ignores it. Life is far more rich varied and experiential than these narrow confines, and Hathor is very much a goddess focused on life and how to live it. Another part of the confusion around her is we don't understand the culture where she flourished. We're trying to understand her from our perspective, values, and experiences, which are a bit different, so misunderstandings abound. To clear things up, it can help to look at some of the basics about ancient Egypt, including its culture and environment. First, ancient Egypt had nothing to do with sand. While today's Egypt includes large areas of desert, ancient Egypt was much smaller and was mostly connected to the Nile precincts and the delta. Egyptians worked in, lived next to, and traveled on the Nile. The land they lived and worked on was rich, fertile, and wet. So think Thailand or the Mississippi River wetlands rather than the Sahara. Ancient Egyptians made houses out of bricks, which they created out of the mud, which was everywhere and free. They lived in areas which flooded every year. Land was plentiful, and there was so much of it, very few people lived in large cities or experienced overcrowding at all. So more like villages than cities. Then there were three seasons not four. There was the Nile flooding in mid to late summer called the inundation. This flushed silt down the river, which turned it to blood red. 
The event was both anticipated and feared, like any farmer who needs the weather to be not too much of that and a bit more of this in order for the crops to succeed. They needed the inundation to be high enough to grow good crops, but not so high it washed them all away or killed anyone. Then, after the season, was the growing season, which moved them into the third season of harvest. Ancient Egyptians valued four main colors, red for inundation, blue for sky, yellow for sun or power, and green for growth and rebirth. In comparison, our language and cultures value black and white more than any other. So much so, we use them as a means of understanding our thought processes, our value judgments, our ability or inability to grow, change, or accept things, and so on. Also, Egyptians didn't see the world as divided into elements, either the Western Four, Earth, Air, Fire, and Water, or the Eastern Five, Wood, Fire, Earth, Metal, Water. Their focus was on living here, being healthy, happy, and virtuous in this life, and prepared to successfully navigate all the obstacles to a life in the next. Because they were agrarian, they suffered from a variety of illnesses and ailments. While they had amazingly skilled physicians with the understanding and capability for various surgical procedures and cures for common ailments much like we have today, their life expectancy was still 40 years. Manual labor led to arthritis, broken bones, and other common physical maladies. Also, the dust, flies, and other particulates would get in their eyes and cause vision issues. Hence the heavy coal makeup used as a means to protect them and reduce the chance of infection. Iron deficiency occurred when an individual's diet had too much grain and not enough meat, which was mostly a case for the lower middle classes and the poor. Death in childbirth was fairly common, just as it is today, even with all the modern technology and skills we have. They were more aware of it, as there were no hospitals, so most births happened in the home. Even with a successful birth, children died young for any number of reasons, which was a tragedy, but also accepted as simply a part of life. Beyond all this, working and living in water meant they were subject to parasites, like the schistosoma and guinea worms. These would get into the body and cause havoc with internal organs and or the legs and feet as they laid eggs, which then hatch. Of course, crocodiles or hippopotami could eat your legs or even more, which is probably worse. And of course, there were scorpions and snakes both indoors and outdoors. And to top it all off, because of the heat and the wet, they suffered from infectious diseases such as tuberculosis and malaria, which are now understood to have affected large parts of the population. So while we think of Egyptians as beautiful, youthful people in heavy black wigs with bright white clothes living in stone buildings, most were beautiful, but also hardworking, regular people living out in the sun with tiny brick houses. They loved passionately, were not prudish about their bodies or sex, valued their personal lives equal to or more than work, and partied as a way to celebrate both life and the gods. On a side note, only the dead and the gods dwelled in stone, which is where the temples and pyramids come in. For ancient Egypt, Hathor was the goddess of life in all of its simple complexities. 
As they didn't have a religion where the deities were demanding or controlling, she was never a mother figure, but instead like your favorite aunt. She wants the best for you, is available to help when things go wrong, gives great advice, but if you ask for too much or get too needy, she'll tell you to go find something else to do. Not only was her face built into temples so she could watch over and participate with the people, but it was carved into the handles or frames of hand mirrors. That way, we can remember to be ourselves in a healthy, honest way. Not to find our flaws, but to see our beauty, true worth, and the opportunities to unfold ourselves further in the moment. Mirrors, by their very nature, call us to the now, taking us out of our heads and bringing us back to the real. In everything she is and does, she invites us to participate. She isn't a fairy godmother granting wishes, but a partner who helps us help ourselves to be fully and completely ourselves. She has no interest in higher selves, universal energies, or moving outside the embodied realm. Instead, her wisdom is about being more present in it, more fully alive by expressing, more completely yourself through interconnection, and more empowered by manifesting your part in the web of life. When looking at Hathor as a healer, she is not a health salesman, nor the gatekeeper of healing, but instead supports us in staying healthy and getting well. She has wisdom, advice, and modalities to offer if we're willing to listen, but does not respond well to demands for specific remedies. Her very being is holistic, and so often her cures include changing how you choose to live certain aspects of your life or relate to things and people in situations. Her support is more in the lines of stop hitting yourself before she offers a salve for your black eye. With that said, Hathor is an amazing resource for those in need of healing. In times of plague, she could help reduce symptoms, point out where the source of the issue resides, and suggest just the right combination of remedies to help a person fully recover. So when asking Hathor for healing, don't ask her to do it for you, give you something which will just magically take the problem away or be a quick fix. Ask her for her wisdom and understanding what is truly wrong, what can be done to stop the damage, and listen when she gives you the full explanation of how to rehab and restore yourself afterwards. When it comes to love and happiness, in the modern era, happiness has been transformed from a state of being to a fantasy which is unachievable. This is because we've merchandised every form of activity and object which might help us acquire it, and we would stop buying things if we ever did actually become happy. In the same vein, love has been both commoditized and idealized. This means we can engage in seeking the one to the exclusion of all others in our intimate lives while at the same time feel driven to have a certain number and kind of friends and social engagement which mimics relationship while often not providing much or any. These are opposite to the wisdom of Hathor. Rather than happiness being some kind of mission or job we strive to succeed at, Hathor promotes happiness as a way of being in the world. Hence her temples were filled with dancing, music, banquets, sharing, and laughter. She promotes sharing within neighborhoods. In fact, Egyptian culture was tipped more towards a happy party style, 
So it was common for employees to call in sick, saying they needed to weave cloth, and the employers would shrug and pay them anyway. Block parties happened nightly, and bigger parties happened on what they considered a weekend. Life was to be enjoyed, not worked in order to have some happiness at a far-off later date. In the same way, love was to be fully participated in and not searched for or guarded against. The notion of there being one and only one right person for the individual wasn't even a consideration. If you fell in love, then you expressed it, and if it wasn't returned, you moved on. People married, divorced, got widowed, had affairs, got caught having affairs, all of which make life rich, varied, exciting, and worthy of poetry and lavish prayers asking Hathor for help in matters of the heart. If you open your heart to possibility, she will fill it with all the good things love can bring. When it comes to wellness, Hathor does not perceive the lives of people as needing to be defined by helping others, service work, or self-sacrifice. In Egyptian culture, each individual, after they die, will be judged by mat. Their heart, their true self, will be weighed against the feather of truth, balance, order, harmony, law, morality, and justice. Self-sacrifice rarely promotes harmony, as it teaches others to value us less than we deserve. Defining ourselves through what we do is a life out of balance. Helping others to the exclusion of all else does an injustice to the divinity within ourselves. Instead, the wisdom of Hathor is in exploring how we can be fully and completely ourselves and live interconnectedly with others. So we should both honor and validate ourselves for who we are and who we can become, as well as being part of our family, neighborhood, and community. Hathor advocates spending large amounts of time indulging in the things we love, so we become expert in them, while at the same time sharing them with others and participating in what is loved by all the people around us. This builds community, connection, and allows us to flourish in a way which benefits everyone, including ourselves. So instead of trying to get good at something in order to make it into a business, don't try to get good at it at all. Instead, enjoy it so much you become good at it without trying. Like it says in the Yoga Sutras, do this regularly, over a long time, with devotion. Or, Put in those 10,000 hours so you end up being an expert at whatever it is, even if that thing is underwater basket weaving. Heck, especially if it's underwater basket weaving. Hathor is not a concept, a thought experiment, or a symbol. She's a being whose presence is still very much with us and available for anyone who wants to connect with her. If you're struggling with yourself or with life in general, reach out to her in meditation or prayer. She's more than willing to help. And that's all the time we have this week. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting it by subscribing on Patreon. You can see all my other offerings and get regular updates about what I'm working on at patreon.com slash Thanks. Bye.